Part four, chapter eight of the Manxman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Manxman by Sir Hall Kane. Part four, chapter eight. When Pete came up to the quay in the raw sunshine of early morning, John the clerk, mounted on a barrel, was selling by auction the night's take of the boats. "'I've news for you, Mr. Quilliam,' he cried, as Pete's boat, with half-sail set, dropped down the harbour. Pete brought two, leapt ashore, and went up to where John, at the end of the jetty, surrounded by a crowd of buyers in little spring carts, was taking bids for the fish. "'One moment, Captain,' he cried, across his outstretched arm, at the end whereof was a herring with gills still opening and closing. Ten maize of this sort for the last lot, well-fed, alive and kicking.' How much for them? Five shillings? Thank you. And three? Five and three. It's in it yet, boys. Only five and three. And six, thank you. It'll do no harm at five and six. Six shillings. All done at six and six. All done at six and six. Seven shillings, shouted somebody with a voice like a foghorn. They're Annie the cadgers, said John, dropping to the ground. And now, Captain Quilliam, we'll go and wet the youngster's head. Pete went up to Sulby like an avalanche, shouting his greetings to everybody on the way, but when he got near to the ferry he wiped his steaming forehead and held his panting breath, and pretended not to have heard the news. "'How's the poor girl now?' he asked in a meek voice, trying to look powerfully miserable, and playing his part splendidly for thirty seconds. Then the women made eyes at each other, and looked wondrous knowing, and nodded sideways at Pete, and clucked and chuckled, saying, Look at him. He doesn't know anything, does he? Course not, woman. These men creatures are no use for nothing. Out of a man's way, cried Pete with a roar, and he made a rush for the stairs. Nancy blocked him at the foot of them with both hands on his shoulders. You'll be quiet then, she whispered. You were always a reasonable man, Pete, and she's wonderful wake. Promise you'll be quiet. To be like a mouse, said Pete, and he whipped off his long sea-boots and crept on tiptoe into the room. There she lay with the morning light on her, and a face as white as the quilt that she was plucking with her long fingers. "'Thank God for a living mother and a living child,' said Pete, in a broken gurgle, and then he drew down the bedclothes a very little, and there too was the child and the pillow of her other arm. Then do what he would to be quiet, he could not help but make a shout. "'He's there! Yes, he is! He is, though! Joy! Joy!' The women were down on him like a flock of geese. Out of this, sir, if you can't behave better. Excuse me, ladies, said Pete humbly. I'm not in the habit of babies. A bit excited, you see, Mistress Nancy, ma'am. Couldn't help putting a bull of a roar out, not being used to the like. Then turning back to the bed. Oh, Kitty, the beauty it is, though. And the big, as big as my fist already. And the fat, it's as fat as a blue bottle. And the straight, well, not so very straight, neither but the complexion at him now. Give him to me, Kitty. Give him to me, the young rascal. Let me have a hold of him anyway. Him, indeed. Listen to the man, said Nancy. It's a girl, Pete, said Granny, lifting the child out of the bed. A girl, is it? said Pete, doubtfully. Well, he said, with a wag of the head. Thank God for a girl. Then with another and more resolute wag. Yes, thank God for a living mother and a living child, if it is a girl and he stretched out his arms to take the baby. "'Aisy now, Pete, aisy,' said Granny, holding it out to him. "'Is it aisy broke they are, Granny?' said Pete, 
A good spirit looked out of his great boyish face. Come to your old daddy, you little sandpiper. Gough bless me, Kitty, the weight of him, though. This child's a quarter of a hundred if he's an ounce. He is, I'll go bail, he is. Look at him. Guy hang, Granny, did ye ever see the like now? It's absolute perfection. Kitty, I couldn't have had a better one if I'd chiced it. Where's that Tom Hommy now? The bleating little billy goat. He was bragging outrageous about his new baby, saying he wouldn't part with it for two of the best cows in his cowhouse. This'll floor him, I'm thinking. What's that you're saying, Mistress Nancy, ma'am? No good for nothing, am I? You were right, Granny. It'll be all joy soon, you were saying, and haven't we the child to show for it? I put on my stocking inside out on Monday, ma'am. I'm in luck, says I, and so I was. Look at that now. He's shaking his little fist at his father. He is, though. This child knows me. Oh, you're clever, Nancy, but no nonsense at all, Mistress Nancy, ma'am. Nothing will persuade me, but this child knows me. Do you hear the man, said Nancy? He, he, and he, and he. It's a girl, I'm telling you. A girl, a girl, a girl. Well, well, a girl, then. A girl will make it, said Pete, with determined resignation. He's deceived, said Granny. It was a boy he was wanting, poor fellow. But Pete scoffed at the idea. A boy? Never. No, no, a girl for your life. I'm all for girls myself, eh, Kitty? Always was, and now I've got two of them. The child began to cry, and Granny took it back and rocked it, face downwards across her knees. Goodness me, the voice at him, said Pete. It's a skipper he's born for, a harbour-master, anyway. The child slept, and Granny put it on the pillow, turned lengthwise at Kate's side. Quiet as a Jenny Wren now, said Pete. Look at the boch smiling in his sleep, just like a baby mermaid on the egg of a dogfish. But where's the old man at all? Has he seen it? We must have it in the papers. The Times? Yes, and the Tizer, too. The beloved wife of Mr. Captain Peter Quilliam, of a boy. A girl, I mean. Oh, the wonder they'll be all the island over. Everybody getting to know. Newspapers are like women. Terrible bad for keeping sacreds. What'll Philip say? But haven't you a toothful of anything, Granny? Gin for the ladies, Nancy? Goodness me, the house is handy. What time was it? Wait, don't tell me. It was five o'clock this morning, wasn't it? Yes, gosh bless me. I knew it. High water to the very minute. Oh, he'll rise in the world, and die at the top of the tide. How did I know when the child was born, ma'am? As aisy as aisy. We were lying adrift of Cronkner Erie Lay, looking up for daylight by the fisherman's clock, only light enough to see the black of your nail, ma'am. All at once I heard a baby's cry on the waters. It's the nameless child of Erie Cushion, sings out one of the boys. Up with the clout, says I and when we were hauling the nets and down on our knees sang a bit of a prayer as usual god bless my new-born child says i and god bless my child's mother too i says and god love and protect them always and keep and preserve myself as well there was a low moaning from the bed air give me air open the door kate gasped the room is getting too hot for us said granny come there's one too many of us here said nancy out of it and she swept Pete from the bedroom with her apron, as if he had been a drove of ducks. Pete glanced backward from the door, and a cloak that was hanging on the inside of it brushed his face. God bless her, he said in a low tone. God bless and reward her for going through this for me. Then he touched the cloak with his lips and disappeared.
A moment later his curly black pole came stealing round the door jamb, halfway down, like the head of a big boy. Nancy, in a whisper, put the tongs over the cradle. It's a pity to tempt the fairies. And Granny, I wouldn't lave it alone to go out to the cowhouse. The little people are shocking bad for changing. Kate, with her face to the wall, listened to him with an aching heart. As Pete went down, the doctor returned. She's hardly so well, said the doctor. Better not let her nurse the child. Bring it up by hand. It will be best for both. So it was arranged that Nancy should be made nurse to go to Elm Cottage, and that Mrs. Gorry should come in her place to Sulby. Throughout four-and-twenty hours thereafter, Kate tried her utmost to shut her heart to the child. At the end of that time, being left some minutes alone with the little one, she was heard singing to it in a sweet low tone. Nancy paused with the long brush in her hand in the kitchen, and Granny stopped at her knitting in the bar. "'That's something like now,' said Nancy. "'Poor thing, poor Kiri. What wonder if she was a bit out of her head, the boch, and her not well since her wedding?' They crept upstairs together at the unaccustomed sounds, and found Pete, whom they had missed, outside the bedroom door, half doubled up and holding his breath to listen. "'Hush!' said he, less with his tongue than with his mouth, which he pursed out to represent the sound. Then he whispered, "'She's filling all the room with music. Listen, it's as good as fairy music in Glen Tramon, and it's the little fairy itself that's ticing it out of her.' Next day Philip came, and nothing would serve for Pete but that he should go up to see the child. "'It's only Phil,' he said, through the doorway, dragging Philip into Kate's room after him, for the familiarity that a great joy permits breaks down conventions. Kate did not look up, and Philip tried to escape. "'He's got good news for himself, too,' said Pete. "'They're to be making him Dempster a month to-morrow.' Then Kate lifted her eyes to Philip's face, and all the glory of success withered under her gaze. He stumbled downstairs and hurried away. There was the old persistent thought. "'She loves me still.' but it was working now, in the presence of the child, with how great a difference. When he looked at the little downy face, a new feeling took possession of him. Her child, hers, that might have been his also. Had his bargain been worth having? Was any promotion in the world to be set against one throb of Pete's simple joy, one gleam of the auroral radiance that lights up a poor man's home when he is first a father? one moment of divine partnership in the babe that is fresh from God. Three weeks later, Pete took his wife home in Caesar's gig. Everything was the same as when he brought her, save that within the shawls with which she was wrapped about, the child now lay with its pink eyelids to the sky and its flat white bottle against her breast. It was a beautiful spring morning, and the young sunlight was on the sallies of the curragh and the gold of the roadside gorse. Pete was as silly as a boy, and he chirped and croaked all the way home like every bird and beast of heaven and earth. When they got to Elm Cottage, he lifted his wife down as tenderly as if she had been the babe she had in her arms. He was strong and she was light, and he half helped, half carried her to the porch door. Nancy was there to take the child out of her hands, and as she did so, Pete, back at the horse's head, cried, "'That's the last bit of furniture the house was waiting for, Nancy.' What's a house without a child? Just a room without a clock. Clock, indeed, said Nancy. Clocks are stopping, but this one's for going like a mill. 
Don't be tempting the nightman, Nancy, cried Pete, but he was full of childlike delight. Kate stepped inside. The fire burned in the hall parlour. The fire irons shone like glass. There were sprigs of fuchsia bud in the ornaments on the chimney-piece. Everything was warm and cheerful and homelike. She sat down without taking off her hat. Why can't I be quiet and happy, she thought. Why can't I make myself love him and forget? But she was like one who traversed a desert under the sea, a vast submerged Sahara. Over her head was all her life, with all her love and all her happiness, and the things around her were only the ghostly shadows cast by them. End of Part 4, Chapter 8